already? Yes. Yes, it's Devin's birthday. Devin. And we're throwing a special service in his honor. You might know him. He's the groundskeeper here at the story. We don't have him on a lot because... And I mean this in the best way possible. He's a sad man. And we don't want younger congregants seeing him as a role model. Um, okay, what else? Um... Oh, right, okay. Um, in the story, it's my right. He, uh, popped like a spider balloon. <laughs> and, of course, he was once, and thankfully no longer is, a father. So let's hear it for Devin! Okay. Thank you, um, everybody. The story must be told. Story. The story must, must be told. Ooh, yeah, but sorry about the low turnout. We sent a bulletin informing every single congregant that today was your special birthday service. Yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you. It's by far our least attended service. It's like empty in here. Yeah, it's... Seriously, there's no one. Okay. There's no one. Mm, yeah. Just those three. It's cool. As long as we get to have some cake. It's been a... <laughs> it's been a long time since I've had birthday. Anyway, as is the tradition here at the story, we all hung out backstage, <laughs> cracked a couple of crow crows, and wrote up some memories of Devin. We'll all be taking a turn at the podium. So who's first? How about, um, how about Pastor Andrew? Get on up here. Pa Pastor Andrew? Oh, I'm covered in mud and leaving little boy tracks to <laughs> Jobs! Oh, story darn that boy! Pastor Andrew, leave Chalms B for a moment and tell your favorite Devin story. Not now! Hey, I wasn't trying. No, no, I'm, ugh, I'm sorry. I've just been chasing Chalms all morning. And now that he's as big and hairy and vocally articulate as Brother Reed, he's an even bigger headache. Oh, guess who's a tricky boy? <laughs> It's me, Chalms, a devious young man. I'm gonna start a boy fire. <laughs> you see what I mean? Yes, yes. Well, still, do you have anything to say about Devin? It's my birthday. Ugh, no. All right, moving along. Next up to the podium, you've seen him on The Story Must Be Told. It's Brother Reed. <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Brother Reed. I, I'm not quite sure what you said. <laughs> you, you sound just like Chomps did. And you're, and you're supposed to read the story today. Oh no. Oh, this might be a problem. Um, sorry to interrupt, but if you're looking for someone to read the story... What are you suggesting? Well, it's my birthday, and I've spent years working for no pay for the story, and I just thought... Not now, Devin! Damn it! The adults are dealing with actual problems. Ah, oh, thanks, story, you're back. Since I'm officiating, we needed someone to read the story, and for a moment I thought we'd have to go with, uh... What? Oh, no! No, 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 Yeah, yeah, I'll do it, no sweat. I lost chumps, anyway. He walked out to Brother Reed's reclusive hovel in the woods, and 
Story knows I'm not going out there. <laughs> oh, that boy, that boy, that boy, that boy! Now I'll hop right on this. <clears throat> the Passage of Memory by the Tumble Twins Limited. I took the painting of my wife off the wall and set it across from me at the breakfast table. The clock above the sink that was always broken said it was 7.12 a.m. Good morning, honey. I poured our coffee and set the cups on the table. Morning, I said. Her painting started to slip out of her chair, so I righted it. Her paint was bleaching. The colors on her face were losing definition, blending into one another. We need to move you out of the sunlight. But I like the sunlight. It's warm. If you stay there, you'll fade. You could get me restored. But then you'd be a reproduction. I'd like to stay in the sun. I swirled my coffee with my finger and looked away. I had a dream last night. My wife shushed me. No, 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 no. No talk of dreams. Not here. It's against the law. They could be listening. I continued anyway. I know where my memory went. My wife sat back in her painting. I leaned forward. Last night, my dream was bizarre. I was pulled from one place to another. I remember a parade and marble statues, and I know this all sounds very weird, but at the end, I saw my father. My wife gasped and looked down into her picture frame, where I couldn't see. He had a message for me, but it didn't make sense in the dream. But I know I need to find him. I'm not sure how, I don't know where he is, but he can help me. If I find him, I'm positive I can get my memory back. He's written it down, in a diary. Honey, that doesn't make any sense. I know, but I'm sure of it. I, I, I don't even know where to start, but if I find him... I was interrupted by a pounding on the back window. A man was cupping his hands around his eyes, peering in. Red-handed! My wife gasped and fell back. Her picture frame nearly fell off her chair. The window opened and a man crawled in, leg first, setting his foot into the sink. He pulled himself in weirdly and squirmed onto the floor. I recognized him as my uncle. He reached into his khaki trench coat and pulled out his wallet. It unfolded as he hung it in the air. A badge cut out of construction paper was in a plastic sleeve on the top half of his wallet. He'd written police on it. Below it was a hand-drawn identification card. He'd made an amateur portrait of himself in colored pencil and a few sentences of a biography that he'd written himself. He grinned and pulled a piece of paper from his breast pocket. I have a warrant for your arrest. You're coming with me. I looked at my wife impassively. I'd rather not. I have a busy day. His face dropped. But all the officers at the station will mock me. Another arrest, eh? They'll laugh. They're always laughing. No, not this time. His confidence grew as he raised his hand in the air, theatrically gesturing a headline. The end of a dream, or family feud, the paper will read. I can already see it. I'm partial to the end of a dream. That has a nice ring to it. We can rework the title together. <laughs> but the arrest. Come with me. I refused to get up. When he saw I wouldn't oblige, he deflated. Please. It would mean a lot to me. I didn't move. Tears rolled down his cheeks. He looked so helpless. I felt guilty. How long will it take? He immediately perked up. 
Oh, I can have you in and out in no time. It's just a formality, really. Not to downplay the seriousness of your crime. <sighs> he got on his knees and raised his hands in prayer. I'll cover your bail. I'll take care of everything. You won't see a judge for months. You have plenty of time to prepare for the trial. Please. He pulled on my thighs and sank his head in my lap, groaning pathetically. Get up off the floor, I said. I sighed, rose from my seat, picked up the painting of my wife, and hung her on the wall. Through the curtains, a ray of light illuminated her cheeks. I'll give you two a moment. Be safe. I looked at my watch. It had stopped. The windshield wipers swept back and forth with an electric groan as my uncle gleefully muttered to himself. Fighter planes chopped through the air overhead, followed by colossal bombers with propellers like windmills. We came to a stoplight. There was an army brigade to our right waiting to cross the intersection. Men held their rifles at the ready, crouching around tanks. Helicopters hovered above, waiting in formation. Camouflaged soldiers knelt on the sides of the road, their faces painted green and leaves woven into their helmets. Thirty-one years and not a shot fired. The light changed and the brigade lurched forward. Tanks tore up the asphalt beneath their metal treads. The soldier on point raised his hand and the column came to a halt in the middle of the intersection. The light above us turned green, but we were stuck. My uncle looked at me helplessly. They're blocking us, those idiots! He honked his horn like a madman, screaming out the window at the army to keep going. Our light turned red. The small army held their position. My uncle's face went purple and spittle flew from his lips. He punched the steering wheel repeatedly, tiring himself out. When he couldn't punch anymore, he began to cry. I stared out the window as he cried, turning on the radio to drown him out. A woman's voice spoke. Both sides have agreed to an unconditional surrender, ending the 31 years war. A formal prisoner exchange will commence this afternoon. All government offices are closed for the week, effective government immediately. Offices closed. This is the worst day of my life. The car rocked back and forth as crowds of people weaved through the halted traffic, waving flags of both nations. They hugged one another and cried. Citizens danced as fireworks exploded above us. Men crawled out of tanks and kissed the ground. The helicopters unfurled rope ladders and men rappelled down, running into the street and joining a parade. My uncle rested his head on the steering wheel. I'm a world-class failure. That's not true. I gritted my teeth and patted him on the shoulder. I rubbed his back and gently shushed him. He sighed and lifted his head up. You've been very kind to me today. It's been ages since anyone has showed me such tenderness. I've been lonely. His eyes welled with tears. I forced a smile. I haven't been completely forthcoming with you. I've been writing your mother. I've been working this case so long with no one to talk to. I asked her to burn the letters when she's read them since it's very top secret. Very hush-hush. Has she written back? Sporadically. She writes in riddles. I couldn't make sense of her messages for the longest time. Hmm. He paused and squeezed the steering wheel. His leather gloves crinkled. I kept notes. I researched her every written word to their source. I've spent hours in the library finding the word's Latin roots, diagramming their histories, how they've spread to other languages. Then, Eureka! It came to me. She knows where your father is. My heart sped. Blood pounded in my ears. 
did she say specifically where he is? No, but she knows, I'm sure of that. And, boy, this is really against every rule about exposing a witness, but I suppose I divulged classified information about your case to her. Turnabout is fair play, as the fellow likes to say. She's at the Shelburne Hotel right now, having tea. I took a deep breath. My head was swimming. <sighs> Uncle. He turned to me with his uncomfortable stare. Thank you. To make it up to you, why don't you swing by the house next week and arrest me? I can even make a scene at the station if you'd like. A smile slowly took over his face. You mean that? I nodded. Oh, boy! He rubbed his hands together manically. I can see the headline now. It reads... He began to gesture with his hands, then stopped and laughed. <laughs> no, no. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll need to write a few versions of it first. Maybe I could have you review it before I submit it to the newspaper? Anything. What a terrific day! But you really must get going. I drive you, but it looks like I'll be stuck here for a while. Thanks all the same. See you next week? Sure. I got out of the car, people rushing past me. He waved goodbye and folded his arms across his chest with terrific satisfaction. The hotel was bustling with officers and diplomats pushing all around me, entering and exiting doors and hallways. A massive chandelier hanging from the ceiling swayed back and forth, its crystal twinkling above the pandemonium. The bellhops were frantic, hunched over and grunting, pushing overloaded luggage carts towards the service elevators. A short man in a green plaid suit was having a conniption at the concierge, waving his hands in the air and screaming, spittle flying from the sides of his mouth. Peace! Finally we've reached peace and you're wasting my time like an idiot! I'll slam your head on the desk until your nose bleeds. Maybe then you'll understand the meaning of peace! Who is that lunatic? I asked over my shoulder to a young woman. That's Reverend Kurtzman, the Minister of Peace. He's here to broker the armistice. I recognized the woman's voice. I turned to face her. She was my grandmother as a young woman, no more than 17. Her curly brown hair was held up in the back by a blue bow, and she wore a heavy fur coat. We embraced. She took my hands in hers. The Reverend is going to hold us up for a while. Why don't we get some tea and warm up? I wish I could, but I need to find my mother. My grandmother revealed a sad frown and glanced at Kurtzman, whose face had gone light blue. He sat on the floor against the concierge desk with his head on his knees, desperately trying to catch his breath. I'll kill. I'll jam my boot. My boot right up. I know a faster way. She took me by the hand and opened a tiny door tucked into the wall by the front desk. She crouched to enter, and I followed. When I stood, we were in a narrow, claustrophobic hall. On each side, there was a door every few feet, and she pulled me along. This is where all the guests who have passed away stay. I was given a choice. I could move on or stay around a little longer. Where I ended up and how old I'd be was just a matter of chance. Kind of like a lottery. Could be far, far worse, believe me. I like it here. I meet interesting people, the food smells wonderful, although it does me no good to eat. She continued to drag me through the long corridor. I tried to memorize all the turns we'd made in case I had to find my way out, but I had well lost track. We stopped in front of a nondescript door. Are you coming with me? Oh, honey, I wish I could. She put her hand against the door to catch her breath. 
Her cheeks were flushed, and she had aged in the time it had taken us to get there, and now she looked like she was in her 60s. Take this. It, it's cold in there. She handed me her coat. I put it on. The sleeves went to my forearms. Will I see you again? No, I'm, I'm sorry, honey. Ever? Even once I... I'm sorry, sweetheart, but no. You'll understand when the time comes. I will tell you, you have nothing to be scared about. It's actually quite amazing. I'd say I'm excited for you, but that's still a little macabre. She took my hands in hers. Her face had wrinkled and her hair was turning white. She was the grandmother I knew as a child. She gently pulled me close. Her perfume smelled sweet like lilies and lightly stung my nose. Tears hung on my eyelashes and my mouth went dry. She pulled away as they rolled down my face. I miss you. My voice quivered. By now, she was lightly crouched over with age. I love you. You're a good boy. She turned and walked down the hallway, holding herself up by the wall as she went. I tried to speak. She turned a corner and disappeared. I opened the door and was hit by a gust of cold air. I found myself on a hazy plain that extended for miles, so deep that I couldn't determine where the horizon ended and the dull blue-gray sky began. Snow flurries surrounded me but didn't fall. They hung suspended in the air. Two massive marble statues stood before me, encased in wood scaffolding. One was black, the other white. Their foreheads disappeared into the clouds. A table sat between them in the knee-deep fog. A gold chandelier hung above it, swaying from a chain that ascended into the sky. I trudged through the fog and took a seat at the table, pulling the coat close and shivering. There were two place settings on either side of a tea kettle. A woman climbed down from the black statue, taking a break every few stories to catch her breath until she landed in the mist. She floated towards the table and settled in the empty seat. It was my mother. She was wearing a dark gown with black lace that covered her arms. Three goldfinches nested in her hat. With her every movement, one would hop up and fly around her head before landing. She picked up the tea kettle, filled my cup, and then filled hers. Her expression was flat, but her eyes were wide, as if she were under a trance. She took a sip and stared through me. While I could see my breath in the cold, I could not see hers. My muscles cramped from the cold. Hands shaking, I reached for my teacup and took a sip. The instant the tea touched my lips, my vision went black. My body felt light, like there was warm air expanding inside me. The anxiety that had been strangling my heart all day began to unwind. It trickled up my throat and came out my mouth. And although I could not see with my eyes, in my mind I saw a solid jet of golden light shoot out of my mouth, hitting my mother in the chest. The goldfinches took flight and swirled around her head in a panic. I felt the rest of the light drain out of my body, and my vision slowly returned. The snow had vanished and was replaced by orbs of light that hung around us in the fog like stars. My mother sat before me in a gray-white gown and a white hat. The goldfinches were gone. Blackbirds perched on her head and stared down at me without moving. My mother's eyes lost their intensity, like her trance had been broken. A black feather quill materialized on the table, and she dipped it in her tea. She scribbled on her napkin and pushed it across the table. Here there is only silence. I felt confused. I tried to speak. I felt my voice vibrate in my throat, but no sound came out. 
She brought the napkin back towards her, scribbled again, and pushed it towards me. Pieces of us go missing. The orbs of light that floated around us began to slowly fall to the ground, coming down from the heavens, illuminating the fog around us. She took the napkin back, dipped her quill in her tea, and wrote one final message. Our memories will always be home. For the first time since she sat down, she smiled. I looked at her messages again. I could feel she was trying to tell me something, but I just didn't understand. I mentally scrambled the letters, trying to decode some master message, but nothing made sense. I dropped my fists on the table in frustration and startled the birds. They leapt off her hat, landed on the table, and began to peck at the messages. I reached to shoo them away, but my mother gently took my hand and held it on the table. The birds flapped soundlessly, pecking the messages to shreds. When they finished, they hopped to the side. The message had been torn apart but four pieces remained. They read, Our home. Go there. It was hopeless. I tapped on my temple and mouthed, I can't remember. She covered a smile behind her hand. The birds rose off the table and began to circle us wildly. They swept up the fog and it swirled around us. More and more birds appeared and joined the vortex until they were a massive black cloud. They moved like a school of fish, flinching and changing direction in one quick, fluid motion. They swarmed towards the towering black statue, flying around it with such intensity that the scaffolding began to break off. Splintered wood fell down around us. I tried to stand up, but my mother held me in place. She motioned for me to watch. The birds spun around the massive idol like locusts, pulling apart and devouring the support struts. When they reached the top, the hundred-story marble figure began to rock back and forth. It finally tilted over, crashing into the white statue. It fell to its side, but stopped mid-fall, caught on some invisible wall. It dug into the horizon, as if the horizon were just an artist's canvas, as if my mother and I were trapped in a painting. The statue finally began to rip the imperceptible fabric, cutting a hole in the air, revealing a completely new landscape on the other side. The statue landed in the fog and shattered, shaking the ground. I turned to my mother, but she was gone. Her hat sat on the table, behind the remaining scraps of her message. Our home. Go there. A gust of wind came through the towering hole ripped open by the statue and blew the scraps away. I could see a sunny sky bleeding in through the gash in the horizon. I climbed onto the statue and followed it to the other side. I found myself in an empty lot. Patches of grass grew out of cracks in the concrete. I was surrounded by rows of abandoned houses that stretched in every direction. They were all identical. I picked a house at random and walked towards it. When I opened the front door, it was peacefully quiet. I felt safe. The walls were lined with empty picture frames. Flowerless faces rested on tables, stuck in place by cobwebs. The house was much larger on the inside than it appeared from the outside with wide halls and tall ceilings. Music faintly came from the back of the house. I followed it and arrived at a landing before an ornate staircase. I climbed the stairs and the music led me to a stark white room. A record player spun in the corner. Big bay windows looked out on the ocean, and in the middle of the room sat a bed. My father was lying on his back on top of the white sheets in a white nightgown, soiled yellow with sweat around the collar. He had a peaceful expression on his face and his arms were folded, 
holding a book against his chest. His eyes were half open. He was dead. I covered my mouth and tried to hold back tears, but I couldn't stop myself from weeping. I staggered towards his bed and fell to my knees, resting my head on the mattress and stretching my arms across his body. I cried for some time before a hand gently patted my shoulder. I could smell my father's cologne. I could feel his presence behind me. I turned around and my father's spirit was standing there. He smiled and put his hands on my shoulders. We just barely missed each other. He pulled a handkerchief from the breast pocket of his nightgown and handed it to me. Is this a mistake? Is this a joke? My sobs settled down. I'm sorry, but I'm gone. At least in the sense that you mean. My father walked over to his body and unfolded his arms. He pulled the book out of its hands and opened it for a quick inspection. Small butterflies came out of the pages and fluttered all around him. Here, have a seat. It's been a while since we had a father-son chat. Why has it been so long? We sat in front of the bay windows, looking out on the sea. When I was out on my own, I suppose I got a little lost. I tend to wander. I find myself in strange places, and I don't know how I got there. I began to lose pieces of my memory along the way. I forgot to remind myself who I am, how I arrived. For the longest time, I kept a diary, a sort of living memory. But I lost it, and everything slowly disappeared until you arrived in my dream. Vines had grown over my father's dead body behind us. Small flowers began to sprout. My father's spirit clapped his hands and smiled. So my messages got through. How remarkable. Simply magnificent. Here, you've earned this. My father handed me the book he'd been holding. It was a diary. I put this together for you. It's not just your history. It's the history of everyone who led to you being here. Exponentially great-grandparents, your grandmother, your mother. It contains my entire life's history, and nearly all of yours. Look, the final page. Read it to me. I opened the book and more butterflies drifted out. Creeping plants grew up the walls around us in brilliant colors. My father's dead body had disappeared under a bed of flowers. Bees lazily drifted around us. I read the final passage. I turned around and my father's spirit was standing in front of me. He smiled and put his hand on my shoulders. I snapped the book shut. My jaw fell to the floor. When you saw your grandmother today, you felt love just as you did when you were a child. The same old feeling that's never left you, even though she's been gone all this time. Herbs began to grow along the walls, giving the room an earthy fragrance. Do you feel that love right now, at this very instant? Yes. A tree grew in the corner of the room, breaking through the ceiling. Chunks of the ceiling turned into butterflies, filling the air around us. One landed on my father's finger, and he held it in front of him. That's the mark we leave. Memories aren't passed on from one person to the other. They simply grow. Look, you can open to any page in that book Regardless of the date, it's occurring in the present. The butterfly took off from his hand. My father opened to a random page towards the end of the book as birds flew through the window with sticks in their beaks to build nests. Ha! Your wedding. Here we go. 
I watched her turn the corner, her father holding her at the elbow. Her smile lit the entire room. We were surrounded by hundreds of people, but we were the only two people there. By now, the ceiling had opened up to the sky, butterflies swirling all around us. It feels like I'm there. I feel the love I did on that day. He clapped his hands excitedly and handed me the book. Your duty is to write the pages. You don't need a silly quill like your mother. When you live, when you love, the words are written in this book for you, for everyone you've ever known and will ever know. Just do everyone a favor and don't lose it. He winked at me. We sat back and watched the ocean. The room was filled with flowers and full bloom and chirping birds. It's all so beautiful. My heart ached. I thought we'd have more time. I thought there'd be a day I'd knock on your door and see you in your wheelchair facing these windows. I imagined us checking the clock every few minutes on the days that I'd come to see you. We'd count down the minutes together, but apart. But now, if I ring your doorbell, it will just echo. When I pack your clothes, they'll smell like you. Then I'll never smell you again. I don't want you to go. He wiped a tear from his cheek. I'm in the book. Pages three hundred twenty-one thousand eight hundred ninety-eight to three hundred sixty-three thousand twenty-seven, to be exact. <laughs> He laughed. Dad, stay. I can't. But do me a favor. Keep the book shut until you see your wife. I want you to read the first page to her. I've left an inscription for you. Can you do that? I can. My father gave me a hug. I tried to memorize everything from that moment: the smell of his cologne, the scratch of the stubble on his cheeks. Go, read. No more forgetting, young man. I pulled away from the hug, and he was gone. I stood on the uneven sod and watched the ocean, bees humming around me. I clutched the book to my chest as the sun set on the horizon. I gathered myself and walked downstairs to my kitchen. I went to the hallway. And I took the painting of my wife off the wall, waking her up. Hi, honey. She slowly came out of sleep. I rested her on the chair across from me. What is that? I opened up the book and found the inscription my father left me. To my son, don't forget, you are only those you've loved and who've loved you. There, you will always find your home. The story must be told. Think most people caught that? This is becoming a big problem. You don't make any sense. Your flesh is sticky like molten wax. I don't know. Oh, I'm wearing all Brother Reed's clothes, and they fit my little booty like a glove. <laughs> the worst thing is, 
you aren't able to help out with Chalms anymore, who now looks exactly like you, which confuses a lot of people. I just... I don't know what to do. Uh, I have an idea. Hey, Devin, this is super not the time, so... How about we just, from now on, call Chomps Brother Reed and call Brother Reed Chomps? Are you being stupid? Oh, story, that's so dumb! You're such an idiot, such a, a foolish man! And that's why it's so frustrating when you have a perfect idea! Really? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, duh, um... Earth to Pastor Andrew. <laughs> it actually bothers me I didn't think of it. It's so simple. I mean, it just wraps this whole thing up with a neat little bow. And that's what I like. What do you think, Sister Callista? Really, it's the most logical solution. I say yes! What do you think, Ch- uh, er, uh, Brother Reed? <laughs> that sounds great to me. In many ways, I think the takeaway here is that I was, and always will be, Chalms. And, um, Chalms? You okay with this arrangement, buddy? (laughs) I believe that's Chalms for, it makes me very happy, and I have zero objections, Pastor Andrew. Well, that's it for the service. Glad we did everything we had to do. Have a good week, everybody. So, I guess... no cake. The story must be told, and I'd like to touch your hands. We are proud to be hosted on the Last Podcast Network, lastpodcastnetwork.com, and yes, yes, I've decided these are just the hands for me. How much do you want for them? Check out youtube.com slash the story must be told, where we have started our new story approved television station, TSMBT TV. And check out this offer for your hands $120. $122. $125. Let Brother Reed and Pastor Andrew enlighten you with what's the story. And here's a story. No, no, no. I won't sell you my hands for an answer. Pleasantly engage new congregants with Sister Callista in stories of the congregation. And you know what? Fine. I won't buy your hands. Mark my words. You will regret this. And continue your humiliation of Devin with our kids show, Plucky the Story Sock. And you'll be humiliated when you find out my highly publicized world peace stew fails because it was missing two ingredients, the hands of a selfish jerk. Yeah, every war is your fault, bud. We'll see you in two weeks when I'll own your hands for a mere $80, because that's the market, baby. Hand, hand, grip, grip. And we're throwing him... I don't... I hate this. Sorry. (laughs) The story must be told. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. 